Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Plot Lines. I'm your host, Connor. And today we're going to have an awesome show for you. We're going to be talking about the books that I'm reading right now, uh, which uh, I know some people wanted to hear about, and that's exciting. And also, we're going to talk, and Darren's here. Welcome, Darren. Hello. Darren also is uh, may have some book recommendations, and he's going to talk about what he's reading. Uh, he is uh, very knowledgeable in this subject, so we're very grateful to have him here. Um, and then also, one of the things I want uh, from the audience is if you guys have recommendations for me to read, if you have something you want me to read and cover on the channel, I'd love to hear your recommendations. So just that's uh, I'm, I'm leaving that out there. Uh, leave that in the chat and I will hopefully get to it eventually or um, find someone who is maybe an expert in it. Maybe I'll find the author. You never know unless it's someone dead. That might be difficult. See, I could see how that could be a uh, hindrance. Though, so Darren, you, could you find someone that's dead? <laughs> well, no. Oh, dang. Maybe, maybe their gravesite. <laughs> now, wouldn't that be a great episode going <laughs> yeah. to their gravesite? Well, yeah. right. there we go. Actually, that that might actually be kind of neat if it was like Tolkien or Lewis, just for the fact that. I think they're like in Oxford, right? You'd have to actually go out. Should we go uh, do uh, review Lord of the Rings at uh, the grave in, in England? Yeah, <laughs> I feel at, I feel at, like... at the uh, at the gravesite of Luther, Luther Luthien and uh, Baron. Oh yeah, yeah. He uh, Tolkien did use the, uh, name him and his wife Baron and Luthien on the graves, mm -hmm. but yeah, so. But maybe we should one day take a trip to England and do that. Yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be a lot of fun. That would be an epic episode. Maybe distasteful. <laughs> I don't well, know. Yeah, maybe me? maybe not. Maybe not actually recording the show at the gravesite, but at least <laughs> maybe in a pub or something. Maybe, maybe yeah, in the maybe. Uh, yeah. What's that pub? Do you know what the pub that they uh... that the English met at? I have no idea. I can't. I know. I know. I've probably heard of it before, but it's not. It's not something that I keep at the at the forefront of my mind. So, anyway, so yeah, Rosie, I have read read Lord of the Rings. I have uh, some podcasts on Lord of the Rings. Uh, some on the Darren and I've uh, reviewed <laughs> the Rings of Power. Uh, I've never seen know, it. He's never seen it, which actually makes it all the better. Uh, I explain uh, the Rings of Power to Darren, and those are great. I replaced him with Taylor Marshall for the last episode, but um, <laughs> but also I did the same thing with Taylor Marshall. He hadn't seen uh, the, the final episode or any, or like half the season, so um, so yeah. So, anyways, so I'm gonna start off with just a book that I'm prepping for. Uh, I believe a future interview. Hold on a second. Ten ways to destroy the imagination of a child. Yep. By who is the author? Anthony Esselin. Oh, okay. So I think he's going to be a great person to talk about just the purpose of literature and how helpful, you know, literature is to 
children and just everyone. Oh, Rosie says the Eagle and Child is the name of the uh, bar. Ah. Or, yeah, tavern or whatever it is. Anyway, so the way, 10 ways to destroy the imagination of your child. You learn a lot about, I would say, what books to read in that. I mean, it's satirical insofar as it's, you know, explaining why, how basically how not to do that by telling you how you would do that. How, yeah. how you would destroy the imagination of your child so you can avoid that. Which is fun. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I really enjoy about some of the books that I read is that as I start reading them, they kind of reference other books. And so it's like, it starts giving me like, I was like, I need to understand this reference better. <laughs> <laughs> so I need to go read that book. So like I, uh, I read the Brothers Karamakov like a couple of years ago. And one of the books that they reference is uh, The Last of the Mohicans. Uh, which is you wouldn't think that that would be uh, something that they'd reference, but they they uh, apparently James Fidmore Cooper was really popular at the time that Dostoevsky was writing, so he referenced it. And then I was like, I need to read that, but I haven't even seen the movie, so Neither. I was like, Neither. I was like, I gotta I gotta read the book before I watch the movie. Um, and I read one review where it was like, oh, the movie's way better. And then I saw who, who that reviewer was. And it was like Siskel of Siskel and Ebert. And I was like, well, of course he's going to say that. I do not know who that is. What? Have you, never, have you never heard of Siskel and Ebert? No. In the 90s, they had a show. Like they just, they're, they're like, they had a show that would, on, would be on like Saturday afternoon. And they'd it'd be like a half hour show. And what they'd be doing is just reviewing like three to five movies that were coming out and they'd give it a thumbs up and a thumbs down if they liked it. And so they, I can't believe you'd never heard of Siskel and Ebert. Also, Rosie uh, is disappointed. I've seen the movie now. I didn't see the movie at the time. The Last of the Mohicans? The, yeah. Yeah. I've seen, I've oh. watched The Last of the Mohicans um, since. I read the yeah. book first, though. The first, oh, okay. the first, Good. the first ten pages were pretty, pretty brutal, because it was just he was describing the land and he was using surveyor language that we do not use in common parlance anymore. And so it was just like I have no idea what he is talking about. Yeah. Also, if you're jo just joining us, please <laughs> like, share, comment, and subscribe to plot lines uh, to help us out that that would be we it'd be so awesome if you did that uh we're at like 616 or something uh we're trying to get to a thousand uh so youtube will recommend plot lines for other people to watch so really it's, it's helpful to spread it's if you like the show you want to spread it to more people so you can uh grow the community so help us do that um so I have another book that I'm been I'm reading that it's basically uh, I'm going to have to read it a number of times because I barely understand it. Oh yeah, is that it's Tolkien? Oh, Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. Yeah, and is that the is that the uh, only one, or is that uh, there are a couple other stories in there as well? There's the Pearl and Sor 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 Orfeo. 
Scorpio. Okay. Do you know those stories? Uh, I know, I know Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. I don't know the other two. Yeah. So, so I, I have a copy of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight that I have not read, but it mm-hmm. wasn't, but it wasn't the. So I don't know if that's Tolkien rewriting it or if he's just translating it from like Middle English to like more modern English. He's translating it. That's okay. my understanding. But my point is that even I'm really confused with the language and maybe a lot of the references. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I probably will eventually do a show with somebody who can, you know, do a good explanation. Or I, I know I know Anthony loves the story of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. Anthony, are Anthony? Yeah. Really? Yeah, because there, because there was a movie that came out and he said he went to go see it and he was like, he was so disappointed <laughs> with the movie because it was such a modern take on these ideas and it was like, it just ruined the story. Um, well, I wonder if there's a more like, because Tolkien really translates it into uh, sort of it may be it may be supposed to be modern English, but it doesn't seem like modern English. Yeah. Well, I mean, like it. Yeah, I mean, I. It's kind of it's kind of tough. I mean, it's, I mean, even even like a English of like a couple centuries ago, the proper English is like a little bit difficult to read. Like even like trying to read Geoffrey Chaucer and like uh, translated, it's like this is this does this is not how people write. Today. Well, well, Chaucer's Middle English. Yeah. So um, he's yeah, translating but... in basically, you could almost say Middle Modern English. He's translating into Middle Modern English because when if you look at the way Tolkien wrote, he writes extraordinarily different when he's writing The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings versus when he's writing The Silmarillion. And his well, Silmarillion is not really a completed work. It's a, it's his his son ended up editing a lot of that and then putting it together. Well, yeah, so that's that's I'm a big he... reason why it's like completely different. Well, I think it's more because he wrote it when he did. Like he was uh, he was still sketching out the stories. They were completed. Well, but before he like uh, before. Christopher edited it. Most of what he was editing was from like the twenties and thirties, and then uh, the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings are from like the later thirties, I think, and the forties. Yeah, well, yeah, but then also like the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. By the time he's like editing that, he kind of acknowledges that originally he was not trying to create a work that had anything to do with like the Christian faith and religion, like just, it's just completely unique by itself. And like, in one of his edits, he consciously was editing it to be somewhat analogous, analogous to it. So with the similar similar because of those early stories that uh, were edited for that purpose, they kind of have like, you know, any kind of like, like they, they're stories, but they didn't have any like a uh, unique kind of like typology that is associated to a story that we would know well. Gotcha. Yeah. No. It's it's definitely not. Fin- it. I mean, I don't, I think the translation. I don't know if the translation or translation was published during his time either. I think it was published afterwards. But 
well, it might have been out in some capacity, but then it was just published. But I think I don't think it was released. So it's the same thing with this: is that it's definitely not edited by yeah. Tolkien. It's edited by Christopher. It's still a lot of fun, and to me, it's like deciphering. I'm just trying to decipher what the what the heck is he trying to say? Yeah. Have you uh, ever Have you ever tried reading uh, T. H. White's um, The Once and Future King? No, I haven't. Didn't he? Is that a guy or a woman? You know, I really, I'm not clear on who T.H. White is, actually. I just know it was written by T.H. White. <laughs> Interesting. Let me, let me look that up real quick. No, definitely a dude. Okay. I, didn't he also write um, oh, The Sword in the Stone? Well, that's, so The Once of Future King is technically like four different like anthologies put into like one single book kind of thing. And so like the first one is uh kind of kind of Arthur growing up and it's kind of where Sword in the Stone re- gets um all the material. So Rose- basically a sword in the stone. Yeah. Okay. Rosie, what do I need to read? <laughs> read what? Um but yeah, okay. So what uh also, also, you learned that Lancelot was actually really, really ugly. Stop spoiling things. <laughs> but it's so awesome. <laughs> He's ugly. And why does anyway. Guinevere fall in love with him? Or not Pit. fall in love with him, l- lust after him. Pity. <laughs> really? Oh, that's, that's so weird. That's literally what it is. That's, uh, oh, okay. The one's Feature King. I yeah. will, I'll get around to it, definitely. I, I, uh, I intended uh, because I did watch the sword, uh, the sword and stone recently, yeah. or for the first time, because it, At, it wasn't part of my childhood. But uh, I intend it's, to. It's not that great of a cartoon. The book's better. Okay, but the song is great. <laughs> I don't remember the song from. Sword you don't remember the, the song? I don't remember the song from Sword and the Stone. We might have to listen to the song. Oh no! I don't know if we'll get taken down from. YouTube because of this. Oh yeah. But who knows? Hold on. Anyways, Darren, tell your uh book tell the book you're reading. Tell us the book. So I technically have three books that I'm reading. Oh yes, that's great. But but to be fair, I have three books that I'm reading because I completed the first chapter of two of them today. But Wait, say that again? I completed the first chapter of two of them today, so I can uh. <laughs> say that I'm reading them. <laughs> so, so one of them I've had for about 15 years, and I've just never read it. It's called uh, The Coming of God by uh, Maria Boulding, uh, the Benedictine nun. It's basically, um, it's Advent reading. So talking about the coming of God. So, it's interesting, just even like the first chapter, there's some interesting stuff in there where she kind of relates um, the idea of poverty, not less from a monetary perspective, but as a uh, concept of how much hope a person acknowledges. So like somebody who may be impoverished in a monetary sense uh, can still be impoverished in the soul because maybe the the challenges of trying to get out of that situation they've they've just grown like they've developed a despair 
that their life is never going to get better. And so that's when they're truly into like a complete poverty. Um, it's by Maria Bolding. I just thought uh, Rosie was asking it again. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, and then similarly, like somebody who has material wealth, like, and you hear this a lot, like people who decide that they don't want to continue like bringing children into this world or like that, that things politics have gotten so bad that why even bother? Like it's, it's that hope, like it's that loss of hopelessness. Like it's, it's just kind of that general despair that is, um, that is a, a sign of, uh, kind of a spiritual impoverishment that you're not really that you're not really interested in participating in in uh in life and society because you don't believe that it makes a difference or it matters gotcha that, so that's, that's that's just the first chapter i got, <laughs> I got like the 10 more to go okay very deep yeah well i can, yeah yeah it's pretty good yeah Awesome. Let's listen to the song way right. less deep. Well, in some ways less deep, in some ways more deep. Let me know if you can hear. Can you hear it? I, is it playing? <laughs> I can't yeah. hear it. I can't hear it. Okay, let me see if I can do this better. Still no. I haven't got. I haven't okay. Got <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Oh, there we go. Now I can hear it. A legend is sung of when England was young and knights were brave and bold. The good king had died. And no one could decide who was rightful heir to the throne. It seemed that the land would be torn by war or saved by a miracle alone. And that miracle appeared in London town, the sword in the storm. And below the hilt in letters of gold were written these words, Whoso pulleth out this sword of this stone and anvil is rightwise king. Though they tried for the sword with all their might, no knight in all the land could draw the wondrous blade from its resting place. Its secret they could not understand. The one who was meant to rule the land and worthy of the throne, he will seek the sword with a heart. 
himself alone. He will be the one who was born to claim the sun in the storm. Yeah, it's good. See? You should, you should read the. Uh, you should definitely read once the future key. Yes, indeed. I, also... I I'd be interested to hear your your after reading it. I'd be interested to hear your um, take on a couple of like the there's a couple ideas that are thrown out there. I'd be interested to hear what you think about them. Epic. Also, yeah. there's uh the Daily Wire is doing a uh, TV or coming out with a TV show like in the next couple of years on a um. Uh, on, like a creation, basically a book series. It's based on a book series on mm -hmm. uh, King Arthur. Yeah. So that should be interesting too. Yeah, he's he's a fascinating um, character for a lot of reasons. But like the the Once and Future King, I know is is a, a really pivotal work and uh, like for for our modern, like it it launches a lot of modern. Uh, mythology uh, yeah. for for what we kind of understand about King Arthur. So definitely. Okay. Now moving on to the next book I'm reading. These are yeah. all books I'm currently reading. Yeah. Hey, that's great. I mean, I kind of have a problem. And that's I, have... I, you know, I used to, I used to be, I'm going to read one book and I'm going to get through it. And I like, Somebody's like, well, why? It's like I got to the point where it's like it is actually more fun to read like two or three books at once, especially if you're not watching television, because then the books become like your TV shows that you. So like you spend an, you devote like an hour or so to each of them, or like take the time to read a chapter, then set it down and move to the next one, and that's like your your devoted time to like seeing the next segment of this like kind of story that you're you're you know paying attention yeah. to i think i just might have trouble staying uh, like keeping <laughs> attention on one thing that, might, that could be it too yeah anyways i can you see that your, your foot's in the way oh, of course uh... the two cities by andrew willard jones yep okay so this is Principally, it's it's also subtitled a history of Christian politics. Mm, that so, could be that could be a pretty fascinating read. It is. I think it's a bit uh, too it's, general for me. Oh, in some too ways. general, not too specific. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit general. So um, how how far back does it go <laughs> historically? Um, Adam and Eve. Oh, so really, it, I mean, it, it go, it's going back to like the proto man, and then like coming forward kind of thing. Yeah, it it's like starts with biblical history because mm -hmm. it um it's like the age of um age of creation, I think, the age of um the sword, I think, 
mm-hmm. or something like that, and then Age of Grace. I'm get, I'm probably butchering those, um, but basically the or oh, the Age of the Law. That's what it is. Age of the Law, then Age of Grace, and then uh, and then we get into post. Well, I guess we're we're in the Age of Grace right now. Yeah, because uh, post uh, the post resurrection. Christ. Yeah, yeah, post Christ. So that's kind of the 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 staple, and then it just it kind of takes you through the main story of Christendom. Yeah, uh, it's it's really fascinating. I think. I mean, I I don't know I don't know if it really touches upon it. it it's really what's really fascinating is the five hundred year period that we usually associate with Christ, Christendom is one of the most turbulent times in and world politics. And it's um, it's really fascinating because we usually think about it as like this golden period of the church. Wait, what years are you talking about? About like from 1000 to 1500. Yeah, it definitely goes into like we we had we had two great schisms between the west and the east, and then we had the great schism of the west, where we had three popes in that t- same time period. We had we had uh, Pope. Gregory the seventh, Saint Pope Gregory the seventh, put the hammer down on the uh, on the the Holy Roman emperors, who for about a hundred years were basically um, pulling the strings of the Vatican, and said, "No, we like we're above the state. The state doesn't control us," and that just created such a huge power vacuum until like France kind of developed the started developing uh, until that France basically kidnapped the Pope and took him to Avignon. And then you, you had the development of what we know today as like nation states, like modern Europe started like dividing itself. Yeah. And it's just a, it's just a absolutely fascinating period in terms of like politics and everything going on. But like at the same time, it's just like, we oftentimes think it, we, it's also the time of like Aquinas and Catherine of Siena and Teresa of Avila, like these amazing St. Francis of Assisi, these amazing saints that we kind of like usually associate with like the golden age of the church. And yet at the same time, it was one of the most turbulent political points of history to have ever, I mean, in, in, uh, in European history, but it's like considered the height of Christendom. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, it's true. It, that that is a part that it definitely goes into. Uh, I I would really say like I just want like I want to find a book that is strictly about sort of like from the sack of Rome to maybe like the uh, Luther. Yeah. Like I want an in depth series or volume or some couple volumes or There's... something. There's a book by Tom Holland called Millennium, and he and he talks about uh, he he goes in depth about what was happening with the Normans with the um, with the Slavs like the Russes that became Russia uh, that like the the develop like which would have been like the early years of the development of Christendom like from like 940 to about just after that to about 1080. Uh, to like to basically the the meeting of Canosa, so it doesn't go quite as far back as you go want to go. It doesn't go quite as far forward, but it's right there in the middle where it kind of talks about how in that time period, like it's 
it's the time period of England leading up to uh, William of Orange conquering it. Um, and how England kind of like because it was was a unique was a unique kind of thing even then because it was an island. So usually, so like in 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 uh, in in the main continent, everybody was just going off and like conquering new land and pushing their borders. In England, they couldn't do that because their borders had an edge. <laughs> so it's like, but like how it like how England kind of like developed this singular currency like the british pound was being developed at that time uh and how it kind of made itself kind of a target because it became an economic powerhouse even at that time and it became a target to the vikings and then it was like it but it had but it didn't have that same kind of fighting edge of like trying to like develop like new land, so it didn't have that same fighting edge to be able to defend itself. So it was just it's just a fascinating it's a fascinating book. I would recommend it. It's called uh, uh, it's called Millennium by uh, Millennium. Tom Holland. Okay. Or it's also I think it also has another title, like The Forge of Christendom. But Millennium is the, the title of the book that I that I have. Is Spider Man a good author? Spider-Man, a good oh yeah, Tom Holland, yeah. I so I know so that's actually that's actually Ooh. another one of his books that I'm currently reading is Dominion. I just mm-hmm. started it. I know I know again like that's one that that Anthony has talked about that he really enjoys. I've also read I've also read his books uh, Rubicon and Persian Fire, which is like the the story of uh, the full story of like the Persian invasion into Greece, like kind of like the starting. Of it, kind of a back history of Sparta, a back history of Athens, a back history of Persia, and how they developed, and then kind of going to even beyond the story of the three hundred. Uh, I'm gonna have to find time to read all of these books. There's some; they are some really good books, good yeah. history books. I do like so. So there's some things that Tom Holland doesn't touch upon that actually work, but. Overall, I think he does a good job of do it, do it uh, storytelling, like putting it into a story to make it make it easier to making the because you, sometimes history can be very very dry, and he does a good job of putting it into this compelling story of history that makes it very readable and enjoyable. Yeah, sounds like it. Anyway, so uh, l- light. Um... Lights. Uh, lights. Just so you know, uh, we want to hear from the audience to what books you recommend me to uh, read and maybe cover on the channel or uh, talk to the author. Again, not we probably won't be able to get any of the dead ones. Um, but we have ideas to make. To uh, Darren and I might figure out a way to come uh, to you know. <laughs> Still make it work somehow. Yeah, to make it work somehow. Uh, I I am very I live very close to Tolkien's desk. He wrote The Hobbit on. Oh, that's very cool. So we could do that. Yeah, that would be very. Yeah, do the episode while being at the desk. That'd be kind of interesting. Anyways, I don't think we'd be allowed to do that, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so let us know what. 
you think uh, we, uh, either of us should read or anything like that. Um, but yeah, so you said Dominion. Do you have anything? What is Dominion about? Exactly. Dominion is um, basically making a case of how the, the Christian revolution changed the world. So it's like... Revolution? Well, so you have... You had the you had the Greeks and you had the Romans and you had like you know you know you, you had like you almost have to make sure that you have a little bit of a history on Greek and Roman mythology and how and how they understood their worldview and he's you know it's like we look at some of these ancient and classic writings and say how these are genius but like it's like but none of them really define Western culture in the same way that Christian Christianity really defines. The, the Western culture that we've grown up in and, and really conceptualize. And so he's basically making the case that like the, like this, and, and it was revolutionary at the time when Christ, mm -hmm. I mean, the, the idea, the idea that to conquer the world, uh, you didn't actually have to, you know, take up a sword and conquer people and bind them and turn them into slavery but rather to conquer the world, you would enter deeply into uh, uh, humility and like kind of like, you know, like it, it is a very radical, radical shift. I mean, like the I mean, even just like the, the Desert Fathers, uh, you know, the Desert Fathers are kind of a byproduct of Christian persecution. Like they to to you know to escape Christian persecution, they just kind of like escaped from the world and went into the desert, um, and and developed kind of a new and and as a result, they kind of developed new communities and developed this monasticism that becomes such a huge piece of uh, of Christendom. Yeah, that's actually a lot of that goes is is talked about in the two cities too. Yeah, uh, sort of just the philosophy of the Romans and the Greeks and what and sort of the pagan kingdoms and that sort of thing and how kingship is viewed uh, from a Christian perspective. Yeah, well, I mean, like the whole like uh, one thing that I've been learning uh, with with some of my reading is like the whole like king of kings kind of statement. Like there there is a lot of. I think there is a lot of even like the Jewish worldview of things that was heavily, heavily uh, kind of influenced by uh, Persia, the Persian power. Uh, that that basically freedom from the bondage of Babylon and allowed them to go back to their land like that. Like there's a lot of you can tell, like when you really read historically into some of that, you can really see that the Jews definitely had a lot of respect. And even when you get to the point where, you know, the Roman Romans being in charge of them, like the Jews, the Jews become a problem because they actually start courting Parthia to like, Hey, like we really liked, liked it when Parthia was Persia. Like we sh we're sure we'd love you guys again, come over and <laughs> defeat these Romans. And Rome was like, we need to stop. Yeah. Uh, no, uh, this book Dominion is by Tom Holland. So there might be another there might be another book titled Dominion by Father Ripperger. I don't know, but this one this one I'm talking about is by Tom Holland. That one's a history book. Yeah. We have uh so I'm 
We have another history book that I'm going to show because, and a few of these I'm like almost done with them, but just taking a while. Mm -hmm. History books I think are hard to read like all the way through. You know, you get to you get to a certain point, or maybe you disagree with some of the conclusions, and you're just like, blah. <laughs> this is a big one. Uh, Puritan's Empire by Charles Coulomb. Okay, I've heard of that guy. <laughs> so basically, hey, I, think, I think we can interview the author, right? That's I think true. You have interviewed the author <laughs> like eleven times. Yeah, you'd think he'd get annoyed. He'd you think he'd get bored by me or annoyed by me at this point? But oh, you know, not. apparently not. Um, but anyways, it's a it's a great book. It's one of those things that he you know he goes, uh, he goes. It's a history about America, but it, it takes you back um, much further than that to give you sort of a general understanding of history. And then it brings you forward and it goes so into the colonies and that sort of thing. How far back does he go? Does he go to like the 17th century England or further uh, back than that? This is, let me just check. It basically gives you an overview of Europe, the Americas, yeah. Africa, Asia, and <laughs> and then it goes into uh, like the conquistadors, and then so that's as the Spanish conquistadors. Yeah, okay, so kind of like, kind of like what the what the general philosophy was or spirit was at the time that the pure shakeup kind of happened. Yeah, it's also just. Not you know America in a larger sort of concept. No, it's not, not, so it's not just U.S. America; it's America like the Western Hemisphere, America. Okay, so it is America on a more intimate level, if that makes sense. Like it's specifically in a, a history of the United States. Oh, it is on, on a US. like on a much more in depth thing. But to tell the story of the United States, he he tells. Uh, he periodically tells you what's going on broadly in other regions of North and South America, as well as like, okay, World War II, what's going on in, you know, in politics in Europe. Yeah. Well, you know, and that's, that's a, that make I'm sure that's what makes it really compelling and fascinating. A lot of times when you read what's happening in a certain area, it's hard to understand why they did certain things. And then when you kind of conceptualize, here's what else was going on. And you're like, oh, like that kind of starts making sense now. Like, yeah, I can see why they might actually want to do X, Y, or Z. Yeah. Yeah. There's just, there's a lot of things that I think are really hard to understand or seem hard to understand from our, uh, from our perspective, especially when we think of the way we're taught history uh, just in general, like uh, sort of from a, um, America, greatest country in the world, perspective. Or... Well, it, and then, and then the way that history is taught, generally speaking, is really boring. Well, that's true. It's not, because it's because because we don't we don't really have a common. We're not a common people. Well, there's no narrative. So, right, exactly. There's no narrative to it because we're not a common people. It's not really telling of a our story. It's just the telling of this this happened and this happened, and it makes history. And a, a very dry and boring kind of topic. Yeah. Because you're, you're not allowed to really, you're not really allowed to narrate that from the perspective of this is who we are. And 
and I one of the it's one of the best jokes. I it's it's a great joke from Norm Macdonald. He's like, I was reading this history book, and it's amazing that the good guy won every time. <laughs> <laughs> like, isn't that isn't that great? Isn't that uh, isn't that just a wonderful coincidence? Yeah, I mean, in some ways, I think in uh, our like in our schools and in our educations, definitely, it always feels like the uh, the victor, you know, writes the history books kind of the, thing. The only time, the only point, and the only thing that I think, the only history that I think I've been given, where I was told that maybe the good guy did not win that I can think of is the Spanish civil war because, because they don't that was about that for the most they part. don't teach, they don't teach too much about that, but you have, but there there's enough of it where it's the nationalists and the Republicans. And one of the things I remember that they taught about was that the nationalists received help from Hitler. And that's one of the reasons why Hitler knew that some of his weapons of war like worked is because he was already kind of, Kind of testing them and and allowing them to be utilized by the Spanish in their civil war. That's yeah. That's one you know, and it so it like they it just gives this, and then of course you know because Franco was fascist, and so all fascism is bad, and so you're given this kind of like this um this kind of colorization that maybe in the Spanish Civil War the wrong guy won. But the thing that they never really tell you is that, oh yeah, the Republicans on the other side were communists and they were destroying all these monasteries and churches and they were persecuting anybody who was Christian, who, who was holding on to Christianity. Yeah, indeed. So, I mean, like, so it does, it's, and that's part of the, re I mean, part of that is they don't really go in depth and talk about it, but the little bit that they do talk about it, because they all touch upon it, they shade it. They they touch upon it just enough to give you that shading that maybe the wrong guy won that war. And that's well, and that's the only time. That's one time in, in my modern history lessons that I feel like they they do kind of try to tell you, well, the wrong guy won, but like, but they never really go into it in enough detail for you to make your own conclusion. I also think that just generally speaking, they want you to know like just the facts of the situation so you don't like or like bland facts so yeah. you don't come to your own conclusions. Yeah, I mean honestly like the World War 1 museum is here in Kansas City and I've gone I've gone about gone to it two or three times. I need to go again because every time I go I feel like I'm learning something new because it's it's huge. And like, you do get exhausted with it because like you can spend three hours in there and like, you've never left one room and it's like, oh, I got to get moving. So, um, <laughs> I, I could see you getting, uh, like trapped there. They have this, they have this huge wall of like timeline of major events. And I'm like, I, I cannot just sit here and read all this because there's all these other stuff that's going on here. It's like, I just, it's so difficult. So, yeah, you got to take multiple trips to it, but it's it's really good. And one of the things that's really good about it is they do a short, they'll do a short little fifteen minute video before you go in, and it's just giving you a cultural perspective of what was going on in the time and how everything. Like there really was, there really was not a winner in the First World War. Everybody was kind of a loser. 
except for Roosevelt. Or not Roosevelt, when Wilson, except for Wilson. Yeah. Wilson won. Uh, but it, even though he, I mean, he lost at home, but he, he won abroad, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I, but I, I think they should recast Ben Stiller, uh, in Night at the Museum with Darren. I think who? that. With who? You. But why? Because. Uh, <laughs> I get eaten by that dinosaur so fast. <laughs> <laughs> Cause you love him. I'd be, I'd just be like, I'd just be like hanging out, like in in the dinosaur's belly, like help me. Well, <laughs> okay. You you don't think you could convince the dinosaur not to eat you? I I I I the following morning, I'd be like inside the dinosaur, and they'd fire me. Okay. Well, <laughs> that either that way, would be a it, quick, would be a quick movie. <laughs> what if it was instead of night at the museum in the in new york it was the this museum this world war one museum in kansas city that would be i'd, I'd probably get shot <laughs> <laughs> this, yeah uh, that wouldn't you, be good either you couldn't convince them to stop fighting each other i don't think so don't they know it's futile well, they don't really have a whole lot of mannequins there. They do have they do have oh, one okay. kind of like setup where it kind of shows you like the 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 stage of war. It's just, I mean, it was just so messy. I mean, it, you know, the chemical warfare was was kind of introduced, and then it quickly like they quickly were like, we cannot be doing this. This is such a crime against humanity. But part of part of I mean, part of it was yes, it's a crime against humanity in the sense that it's killing civilians, but also it's like. If the wind changes, you're killing your own troops. <laughs> you know, like yeah. it's it's such a you know, and then like there's another book that I read with my voice is cracking. Um All Quiet on the Western Front. Isn't that so a movie too? It is a movie, but it's a book first. Really? Uh so it's a book called All Quiet on the Western Front, and it's and it follows the story of a soldier who kind of gets leave. He goes back home and it's basically, it's just, he's like maybe 18 or 19 years old. He's talking about just the, the, and this is just the first world war. And it's talking about how like, this is the transition from kind of adolescence into manhood. And this is, this is what they, this is what they were given is war. And like they, they're, all their innocence is completely like there's no way that they're going to be able like how are they going to transition back into normal society kind of thing like it's just mm -hmm. like how do you do that and and then he goes back to the and then he goes back to the front and just you know he's depicting he's telling the story about different things that he's seeing like basically like everybody in his unit basically gets killed or dies um you know gas comes in and like somebody you know he's like teaching new recruits to come in and he's like half of these people by the time they learn the lessons that we learned they're going to be dead because that's because it's like they're not going to know what the sound like because the different sound of the different weapons and the artillery mean different things and so like you know when one is coming and one is just like you don't need to worry about the sound but how do you teach somebody new like it's like 
it, it's like teaching somebody a new job, except that if you don't get it right the first time, you're dead. So it's just such a, I mean, it, it does, it, it, in some respects, it's kind of like the red badge of courage. And the sense that it does a good job of giving you, really helping you read into the sense and feel of what it would have been like to be on the front line and to be a soldier in the war. Gotcha. So it's, it's good. It's good from that, from that respect. I haven't seen the movie, but I have read the book and it was, I thought it was a pretty decent book for, okay. for, I'm not really into war novels, war books. Uh, they're, they're, I mean, they're just extraordinarily depressing and they're just, I mean, they're trying to detail. I mean, if, if they're being real, they're, they're, they're detailing things that are just terrible. Have you um, seen the movie or the TV series? Uh, what was it? Uh, Band uh, of Brothers. Yeah, Band of Brothers. I have seen Band of Brothers. That was very good. Yeah, that was surprise. It's surprisingly lighthearted at certain points. Yeah, no, it, I, I think, I think it, I think it, I think a, I mean, obviously it's it's following like what the hundred first airborne like. It does a it does a good job of just kind of like pacing itself. It paced it. The whole show was at a good pace where you kind of got the, the the glimpse of the the stuff that they went through. Uh, but it was, um, but yeah, it was lighthearted enough that it it it, it moved it along like they you know like and and kind of. I think part of that too is just it's the humanity. Like it's just even in the middle of war, you're trying to get this out of it all, right? Like you're trying to, you know, you got you got some you got some relative hope that you're gonna make it back and just that kind of concept that if you really wanna be good at what you're doing here, like being a soldier, you can't be thinking about home. Like you can't be thinking about the fact that you're gonna go back because it's not gonna make it you're not gonna be able to do what you need to do in the present. Yeah, definitely. I, one movie I could not like, I, or I well, I made through, but I did not enjoy watching it was that uh, movie about Hitler that's in German that has that famous meme. Uh, Are we the baddies? That no, that one? I, I, no. I don't know. No, it's in that, German. that meme. No, no, it's, I don't. Uh, it's a famous. It's like a YouTube video, often that like they change the. Uh, translation to make it funny. Um, I I have seen it. I can't remember. So what I wouldn't called. be able to tell you what it's called. It's just some. It, it's it's a just a. I don't know. I'll, I can't remember what it is. But anyways, uh, do you have Hogan, the... Hogan's Heroes the movie? <laughs> I was just watching Hogan's <laughs> Heroes earlier today. Uh, I love that. That TV show is great. Um, uh, all made by the Amish. Uh, that that show was made by them. Uh, That's funny. Yeah, and then, do you, what's the third book you're reading right now? The third book is a fiction book by Upton Sinclair called The Jungle. So this one is supposed to be about um, uh, Lithuanian immigrants working in the meatpacking district of Chicago. Okay. And so, so apparently, when it came out, it really kind of brought to light the conditions of uh, 
like the the deplorable conditions there. So like I've only read one chapter. The first chapter is talking about like a wedding and just about how like these people are really impoverished. Like they're making like 40 cents an hour and and it's, and it's backbreaking work kind of thing. And like one of them, one of the guys in the story is like a, is a, a beef deboner. And he's talking about like, and you know, the meat is wet. Your knife is wet. Your knife is sharp. Somebody talks to you and your knife hits bone, but it's not the beef bone. <laughs> and like the problem is the fact that you cut yourself. The problem is that you don't know how it's going to heal. And so it's like, so it's like, you, you know, he was off for three months and then he, like healing one time. And then another incident, he was off six, six or seven months. And then he had the, and then he lost his job. So to get his job back, he, he got to, you know, you're, you're among the huddled mass outside the factory looking for work because people don't show up. Like they'll, they'll go out and they'll handpick somebody, come on in. Like you're, like you're working today. And, you're you're hired right so it's like that's uh and but then it's it's you know it's it's interesting that i'm reading this coming of god with it because it's like they're they're talking about what we would what we would commonly think of as dollar dance at this wedding where it's it's just this kind of thing where people put in like a dollar or five dollars into this hat and they're talking about how like three hundred dollars and that's more than anybody here makes in a year (laughs) like like, any of the so it's like so it's like people are truly sacrificing the start and like and then then talking about how all that three hundred dollars it's supposed to be this good start but reality is is all that three hundred dollars is going to go to the bartender and to pay for everything for pay for the festivities they should pay the bill they should really just get a patreon I, i know what were these people thinking but it's you know, it's just just it's a dollar a month on Patreon. Right. right. But it's but it's fascinating. But yeah, a dollar a month, which is like, you know, you know, uh, you know, two hours of work a day, you know. Uh yeah. But uh but yeah, no, it's it's uh it's interesting because it is talking about how like they just they're just refusing to be like it's it's a hang on to this tradition because it's like because it's something that really does offer kind of a hope and in the in the midst of their like you know such despairing poverty and so it's like they're just like they refuse to give it up even though they know that it's basically making their lives harder by keeping like hanging on to this tradition (laughs) but it's just you know it's just that it's just i mean it's just such a wonderful juxtaposition to what i'm reading with like the whole the other book so yeah look at that well, it's kind of interesting. We're both ending on the fiction book we're reading. Yeah. Uh, so here is the fiction book that I am reading. Sword and Serpent. So that's a. So yeah, I think you could interview the uh, author of that one too. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Sword and Serpent by Taylor Marshall. Uh, it's one of those books that, or how often do you uh, start reading a book and then it just, you've put it down for so long, not necessarily because you weren't enjoying it or anything, but just because you just, your mind went to different books and then you go back and pick it up. I've done that a few times. I do that 
Uh, I've done that with a few Grim Green novels. Um, that I, you know, it's like I get into them and then like I get to a certain point and I'm like, I'm go something else and I'm like, oh yeah, I still have like three more chapters to finish in this book. Well, yeah. this one I ended up just, I was, I read like 10 chapters and then uh, I, I forgot part of the story. So I have to go back. So I'm oh. going back and rereading parts of the, uh, um, so See, I, it, it depends. I, it, it depends on how, how much I enjoyed the book before I got to the point where I started skipping out. So like three Musketeers is a book that like I read maybe the first hundred pages of it. And then I set it down for like a year and I was like, I just can't pick it up for where I was at. I'm going to have to go back to the very beginning because like I wasn't it, some of those books. Like I feel like I need to read them twice to really fully appreciate it. Yeah. Right. Uh, True, very, very true. Yes. So, so, so some books, it, it's more for me. It's more about how long I put it down. If yeah. I, if it's a couple months, I can get back and like I'll start reading, and then um, it will all come back to me. Yeah. But sometimes there's a point when it's just like I have to go back. So and it's also the st structure of the storytelling is kind of like one chapter is about this character then the other chapter goes to a different location mm -hmm. and it kind of switches back and forth uh every ch every chapter is the other you know switches pretty much there are occasionally where it doesn't at least for the first part i don't know if it changes later down the line i assume there the story is going to come together eventually but anyways it's it's a very interesting story just because you know, it's set in really early Christian times uh, under, I mean, it's St. George and the Dragon, basically. Okay. Have, so, have you read the book yet? A Sword, the Sword and Serpent? No. Okay. Yeah, so, it's definitely interesting. There's just, a, there's a lot of names, too. So, it's, you know, because it's, his, it's because it's sort of set up like a historical, historical fiction, fiction. Yeah. It, uh, you know, there's a lot of names. And it's names that we're not really used to. And in some ways, it's, you know, it reminds me a little bit about fantasy in that sense. Uh, fantasy stories are often like that as well. But for whatever reason, fantasy stories, I think it's easier to remember. But it's also, or it's easier to understand that you're not in your own world. Oh, but, yeah. But the sword and the serpent, you're in the real world. You're in, you know... History. Because it's more of a historical fiction kind of. Yeah, so it just feels different, and it's harder to sort of. Uh, I think this but, is about all histor historical books, not nothing, nothing about this one specifically. Just it's harder to sort of get used to historical fiction books. Yeah, and there, there's a historical fiction book that I've been wanting to read, that's on my radar. Uh, it's by a Polish author. It was really popular at the turn of the last century, like in the 1900s, called Quo Vadis. Oh, which is, yeah, I had a, I had a which, friend which, who read that. And it, and it was, it's supposed to be uh, during, like the, about the Christianity during the time of Emperor Nero. Yeah. So, yeah, that's I, something that I think would probably be interesting. Yeah, one day I'll, I'll uh, probably read that. Or maybe I'll convince my friend to, 
Uh, come on and tell you about it. <laughs> yeah, come on and tell me about it. And then I don't. And then maybe I can read a little bit of it. Oh, we're, uh, we're wow. More a lot friends. of people, a lot of people starting to cop on now. <laughs> right. When we, uh, when we get to, uh, just, just as we're, to the point where we're ready to wrap up, that's amazing. Okay. Well, Brick, Lauren, and Haley, just so you guys know, just, uh, like, share, comment, subscribe, but also, let me know what books you think I should read or, you know, talk about in the future or interview the author or that sort of thing. Uh, Brick was taking a nap. That's great. Yeah. yeah so, so the, the books that are commonly in my kind of wheelhouse are books that are more like um, classic books, like more like books that I know, like were written in the past that people really kind of enjoyed that are more classic literature. Uh, so I've read, uh, you know, like Bronte, uh, Dracula, uh, Frankenstein, uh, a lot of some Charles Dickens is I'm trying to get into Charles Dickens. I've only read Oliver Twist uh, so gotcha. far. Not even Christmas Carol? I haven't read Christmas Carol. I've watched Muppet Christmas Carol. I feel like that's basically the same thing. I've there also watched I've also I've watched Muppet Christmas Carol and Scrooged. I feel like that's basically reading the book. Did Scrooge it, is that a new one? Scrooge? Scrooge Scrooge is from like the late eighties with oh, no, Bill no. Murray. Oh right. It is it is a good one. If you've never seen it, you should watch it. It's I think I think it's on uh Amazon Prime right now if you if you uh have never seen it. Gotcha. Apparently, Brick, so Brick says we need to start over, start over from the top. Yeah, or maybe he needs to start over from the beginning. Yeah, that that <laughs> might be better. Uh, yeah, that might that, that might be best. But basically, long story short, two city, the two cities by Andrew Willard Jones, uh, Sir Gawain and the Green Knight by J.R.R. Tolkien. Uh, Puritan's Empire by Charles Coulomb, Sword and Serpent by Taylor Marshall, and uh, Ten Ways to Destroy Your Child's Imagination by uh, by Anthony Esselin. That one, that one sounds compelling to me, if only for the fact that there would be. I know that Anthony's going to throw out so many good books. Yeah, exactly. Recommendations. It's, it's basically like, how do you grow an imagination? Yeah, like, that's because like. Reading C.S. like I'm reading C.S. Lewis, and I love C.S. One of the greatest books by C.S. Lewis that I've read is actually um, called "Till We Have Faces," uh, and it's a retelling of the myth of Cupid and uh, Psyche. Really? So it's 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 really good, uh, and it, it's one of. I, I think part of the reason why it's so good is because it just isn't Narnia or it's not like his mere Christian, like it's not his like just essay and it's not like, like he really, he does a good job doing that, retelling that story. And then, um, and, and if you're not familiar with the story of Cupid and Psyche, it's actually, it's actually considered one of the earliest novels. Um, uh, so it's a, uh, it's a really good story. I'm not actually going to retell it, but um, well, yeah, don't spoil it. But then, but then I know that one of his the authors that he talked about a lot was like George, a guy by the name of George McDonald. So I was like, 
I tried reading a little bit of him and like George McDonald is a lot more into like mythical fairies. Like it's a lot more, it's a lot more imaginative, his story. Yeah. Thing, so. Yeah. I'm, I need to eventually read some of that. Uh, so work books in general, I mean, based yeah. on, based on just the books I gave out, I think that it's pretty, pretty yeah. generalist. That's just what, that's what I'm, uh, yeah. Brick, it's what you would like to see me review or read or, or interview the author or something like that. Like that, it's more about what you want, not necessarily just books you like. I don't know. It has to have a purpose. That's what I'll, I'm saying. I'll go ahead and make the books that I'm, I'm reading recap. Oh, so yeah. I'm reading uh, The Coming of God, my uh, sister Maria Bolding. Uh, so it's. Uh, an Advent book, basically. Um, Dominion by Tom Holland. I've also read a few of his other books, Rubicon, Persian Fire, and Millennium. All of them have been really good. Uh, I don't. I think he's just a really good author in general, storytelling history. And then, Anthony, wait, Anthony, do you want to dr- jump in while you're driving? <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then the last one uh, that I'm reading is by Upton Sinclair called. Uh, the jungle about uh, Lithu- the Lithuanian jungle. Lithuanian immigrants and uh, the Chicago land uh, meat industry. Oh, dang it, Anthony can't jump on while I'm uh, in the car. Yeah, I was I was telling I was telling Connor like I I'm I'm starting the meeting, but like uh, I was telling him that uh, you were mentioning about wanting to have like a conversation about the book at some point or even try to get Tom Holland on your own channel and uh, that he should, he should bring you on to talk about dominion. Maybe we'll have, maybe we'll have a competition to get who gets Tom Holland on <laughs> first and then just whoever gets him, everyone else can jump into just the jump show. In, yeah. So basically it's just, just mirage them. Yeah, exactly. It's just like six people interviewing <laughs> Tom Holland. <laughs> oh, would that be hilarious? Oh, uh, Anthony, remember you're always like, "How do I get guests on?" You know, you're uh, you've been trying. It just, you, I guess, you don't have the touch. <laughs> I don't know. Who knows? Hey, you're gonna be getting uh, that. Uh, what is it? It sounds like you're getting the director of the Chosen on uh, to. Uh, so that's pretty awesome. Oh, really? Uh, that's crazy. Yeah. If anybody hasn't watched uh, the Avoiding Babylon episode. Uh, uh, the review on the chosen, it was a lo- it was a lot of fun. It was less chaotic than their uh, trivia show this week. That's uh, that's unbelievable. <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> Mac 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 made it. Uh, anyways, the chosen YouTube channel uh, responded to their video. Oh really? Yeah. That's amazing. It's hilarious. So uh, it sounds like the creator might jump on some point hey that's that's pretty cool well i i don't i don't know i guess they weren't really gushing about the show but they were giving like honest critical feedback it was very balanced oh it was very balanced yeah were you not watching darren i I, that (laughs) that that trivia game show was such a train wreck i was like i can't watch anymore sorry i'll have to go back and rewatch it (laughs) (laughs) you you need to watch it it was a good it was a good review. It was nowhere, uh, nowhere 
I don't know why it's like it's like Anthony goes from sober or sorry drunk <laughs> to sober. I, uh, almost. Uh, Anthony says we were charitable. Yeah, I don't. Anthony's Anthony's description of charitable. I'm not. <laughs> no, they were. Uh, I, I mean, technically, the chosen said that they were being charitable. Not the. I don't think they used the word charitable, but they basically right. said, you know, balanced or whatever. Yeah. Because you know, Rob was critical. Jason liked it more, and you needed you needed somebody who never saw the episode giving his two cents. <laughs> well, that's why you should have been <laughs> on it. Come on. Or uh, actually, let's both go on the next one, and we both haven't seen it. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. I don't know how that would help. Anybody. I don't. I don't. I don't think that would have helped anything. No, I think that. I think that's. I think that's entirely different. Uh, from from reviewing Lord of the Rings when you're trying to like say here's the actual like history like mythology of the book, yeah, compared, like, it's, it's a very different. Thing. Yeah, and I'm like, here's the plot. Yeah, I I we have now seven people watching, but for like <laughs> most the last of it, the last three minutes, <laughs> but, but for the first like hour we had like, like nobody, one maybe one person, person. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so thanks everyone uh, yeah. for stopping by uh darren i think we'll at some point have to do just like your recommendations like I'll, I'll have to i'll have to actually get some of them together i might have to do like a uh like a top 10 or something like that of like Ooh, yeah I think. well maybe top 20 because anthony and i did top 20 movies <laughs> do i have to do everything that anthony does can i do my own thing <laughs> <laughs> well you know darren you could do you know you're like the one person that actually deserves to have a youtube channel so and you're the one person who doesn't have a youtube channel no i don't you're i don't deserve one of those. okay well then none of us deserve it. you don't if you don't deserve i don't it, even you know, know i don't even know what content i'd feel i'd be so aimless with it <laughs> yes but you're so smart you uh, thanks, thanks for the compliment. But no. Oh come on! <laughs> Remember, you're right about everything. Uh, right, right. False. Yeah. <laughs> False. Oh, uh, any update on when you're doing uh, your episode with um with Angela? The next. Uh... We were gonna try to do it next Tuesday, but I have family coming in town, and I just don't think that I can set aside that time when family's in town. So I haven't, we, I haven't, we haven't thrown out another date yet when that would work, but uh, hopefully, hopefully we can try to do it before Christmas. I don't know if we, we might be doing it during Christmas. I don't know. I don't, I don't know how it's going to work. Do you see the bricks last uh, comment? Yeah. Don't be, don't be a prick. <laughs> yes. Anyways. Okay. Uh, so anything, so anything to, uh, I don't know, advertise, Darren? You, if I had anything to advertise, you just touched upon it. So, but no. okay, perfect. Uh, yeah. Anyways, thank you all for watching. Please like, share, comment, and subscribe. And again, let me know in the comments, especially if you're watching this after the live stream you know, suggestions, things you want me to cover, 
that sort of thing. You know, so in some sense, this is book recommendations from you to me, not just book recommendations from me to you mm. and Darren to you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay. I, I want some good book recommendations. Uh, yeah, Darren will probably be checking back later too. So uh, thank you all for watching and have a blessed evening. And also, uh, we have some upcoming episodes this week. There's going to be a episode. I, I'm not sure if it's going to be live yet. If it is live, it's going to be 9 p.m. Central Tuesday. It's going to be me and Trevor from Trinitine Brewing talking about uh, basically how the year went of plot lines. How did the history of plot lines in the, over the last year? And we talk, you know. Trevor is a big listener of the show, a big guest of the show as well, and I can't wait to hear his thoughts on how plot lines did this last year. Right, and then awesome. also uh, Joseph Pierce and I will be doing an episode about the third, well, in his chrono in the chrono chronology that we'll be doing, it will be uh, we'll be doing the horse and his boy. We'll be talking about the horse and his boy. That's a good one. It's my favorite, so it's going to be. I've heard a lot of people say that it's their, say it's their favorite of the series. It's interesting. It's Joseph Pierce's like it was. It was at some point, or it still is one of his least favorites. But crazy. uh, Yeah, I love the silver chair, but that's only because my my personality profile matches Puddle Glum. You are puddle glum. I am puddle glum. Uh, yes. Okay. Maybe you'll have to come on for that episode with uh, with Joseph and I. Uh, it'll be me, you, uh, and Joseph Pierce. I think that'd be a great episode because you can, you know, you'll tell him. You can tell him he, you are puddle glum. That's a bit optimistic, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, anyways. <clears throat> So we'll have that. And then the week after week after Christmas, it will be or the week of Christmas, I guess, we'll be I'll be releasing an episode about the about sort of this this drastic change in uh Christianity or drop of Christianity in the United Kingdom with uh with Von Day Radio. So that's that's gonna be a fun episode. So that's what that's what's going on in plot lines, and who knows what will happen after that. But that's all I I'm focused on at the moment. Sounds like you got yeah. some good things uh, lined up. Yep, uh, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully <laughs> it goes well. Anyways, uh, thank you all for watching. Bye. All right.